Hey everyone, it's Tiffany with my so-called fabulous. Just a quick warning for this podcast. It is adult content. Just warning you, you know I'm transparent and I want you all to know that little ones should not be around while this podcast is going on. Get your earbuds on, go to your car, whatever you'd like. Thank you for your continued support and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to my show. I'm Tiffany Blackman, my so-called fabulous and welcome, welcome every day. It is so great to come to you. And today I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. I am bringing to you sex. And if you've listened to me, goodness, what are we almost to 60 episodes now? Um, Probably not something you want to listen to me and learn about, but today you are going to listen because I am so blessed to have in this studio someone that does know a lot about sex. We have talked before and um, she's gotten me ready, not for sex, but to talk about you about this <laughs> podcast. But if everyone would please meet Dr. Celeste Holbrook. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited and delighted and honored to be here today. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yeah, and the, the feeling is mutual. And let me tell you who is really excited that you're here is my husband, Greg Blackman. Hi, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks yeah. for listening. Well, poor Greg gets sex and maybe not often enough. Let's just put it that okay. way. And we're going to hit that point and, and we're being transparent here, of course, but um. This is how we met. So Dr. Holbrook, can I call you Celeste today? Oh, please do. Yes. Okay. So yes. Dr. Holbrook, Celeste, we met because I have a dear friend that owns the Velvet Box, Marcel. And Marcel just wanted some information out there. And she wanted some information that was educational and people were not afraid to talk about. So Celeste, my demographics are around 18 to 42. I'm 56. A lot of people don't listen to my podcast that are my age because they don't know how to get on Spotify or Apple, but we're going to make them because I think we need it more than anything. But let's set the stage here. You are a sexologist mm -hmm. and you have your PhD. So tell us, I'm going to tell you what she has on her website. How I went from 26-year-old virgin <laughs> to a sex expert. I did. That's, what, that's Celeste. So, <laughs> that's so tell us about yourself, how you started in this other than that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a degree in health education from Texas Women's University, a PhD, and um, I have created my own practice here in Fort Worth. I see clients virtually and I teach courses for um, on my own and for the Velvet Box for Marcel. And all of that, none of that matters uh, more than the fact that I've really in my past struggled with sexuality and sex. I experienced extremely painful sex when I first started having penetrative sex when I got married. Um, grew up in a small Texas town in a conservative environment where I was told if you wait until you're married to have sex, sex is going to be great. And so I believed that and I did it. And that's new, kind of neither here nor there, but that's part of my story. It wasn't great, was it? It was not. <laughs> so we got married in Austin in the morning because my daddy always said, if you get married in the morning, if it doesn't work out, you haven't wasted the whole day. Oh, no. <laughs> 
hear? Did you all hear that? Okay, yeah. get married in the morning. So I got married in the morning, like Daddy told me to. How funny! And so we walked over to our hotel, and you know, I start peeling off my spanks and my chicken cutlet strapless bra <laughs> and like my eyelashes, and I took out my hair, like extra hair, you know. And so I'm expecting my partner just to be like, "This is not what I signed up for." <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't, of course, and we had penetrative sex for the first time, and it was really painful. And I thought, you know, I'm 26. Right. Maybe I just have like a rusty vagina right. or something. Right, right, maybe right. I just need to practice this a few more times. But it just didn't get better for the whole first year of our marriage. And um, it was painful. And so I started feeling shame. Like I wasn't living up to what I thought a good wife should live up to. I felt angry at him for wanting sex, even though it was perfectly normal for him to want sex, but I felt angry. Why would he want to hurt me? You know, I felt resentful. I felt all kinds of things. Um, and I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know anybody who had had my experience and I didn't feel comfortable talking to anybody. So after my first year of marriage, I finally went and saw an ob and he did a whole examination a full physical exam. And then he finally said, you know what? I don't see anything physically wrong, but I think if you just have a baby, this pain would go away. You're joking. Mm -mm. Not joking. And that was a terrible answer as you can imagine. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I just thought that's not the solution. And what I really needed was for somebody to hold my hand and to say, I see that you're angry. I see that you're, you feel a lot of shame. I see that you need to know more about sex because you didn't get a lot of sex education growing up. Um, and I needed somebody to help me in that regard. Um, so what I did was I just started studying sexuality. I was already getting a PhD. So I started studying sex and kind of gave myself the education that I never got Mm -hmm. and started to understand how kind of purity culture and growing up in a conservative environment had affected me and my body. And once I started working through those things, then sex started to become less painful and less painful and more pleasurable. And I figured if I can figure it out for myself, I could probably help. There's got to be somebody else out there struggling, right? Mm -hmm. So if I could figure it out, probably I could help somebody else. And that was the beginning of my career. I just tried to become the person I needed at the time. Right. So let me back up. So 26 was when you, that was your first penetration, Mm -hmm. penetration. Mm -hmm. Okay. Was it, was it a problem of, um, were you lubricated? Were you, was it not? No. No, it just... I was I was scared. It was my first time. I wasn't aroused. I tried to have sex when I wasn't aroused. None of this. I, I didn't know anything about this because I was I was just kept kind of in the dark growing mm. up. Oh, um, yeah. And I didn't I didn't know all the things that I needed to do. And then what happens with painful sex is once you do have kind of painful sex, especially that first time um, penetrative sex, I want to be really clear about that. Um, your body associates sex with fear, right? And so it continues to start to try and keep you safe by shutting down arousal, mm-hmm. right? Like if like if you're on the savanna and you're being chased by a lion, your body goes into fight or flight and it starts to try and run from the lion and it shuts down all non-essential systems like digestion. So that's maybe why you poop your pants. If right. You're being exactly. Chased, right. Um, the same things happen. The same thing happens like in a sexual scenario, if your body associates sex with pain or fear, it starts to shut down non-essential systems 
like arousal. Mm -hmm. And so it's this negative feedback loop. I had painful sex the first time, but then my body was like, oh, this is something that is not, is going to hurt us. So we're going to keep shutting down the body to that option. You know, the first time I had sex and I waited till I was married and, and I grew up in a conservative Catholic family Mm -hmm. and it wasn't acceptable. And I'm, I'm not here to judge if someone decides sure. to make that decision. Sure. But when I made that decision, I just remember crying and going, this is the worst. And I don't remember if it was pain or if it was my, um, my, my upbringing because I felt dirty. Yeah. I felt, um, like I was doing something wrong yep. and I just couldn't get it out of my head. And Celeste, I'm not sure I've ever gotten it out of my head. You know what I mean? Like, I is do. that possible at 56? It is possible. Can it you fix? Is. Can I be fixed? And my friends that talk about this. Can I? I always say we're all kind of, we all bring to this table, this certain backpack of our identity, of our, tr- of our trauma, of our past, of our growing up years, right? We have this backpack and we can't ever just take out and leave behind everything in the backpack. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can take out things that we learned growing up and we can just leave them on the trail. Right. But some things have to stay with us. Um, and so for things like growing up with in religious trauma or growing up in purity culture, not being given enough sex education or being told that sex is dirty or dangerous, or you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. If you have sex before you're married, all of those messages stay in your backpack, in your body, essentially. So what we can do is help rearrange the backpack. So you're not carrying those rocks up top. You're carrying them down below on your hips. So they don't affect your life as much. Do you know what I'm saying? I certainly do. Yeah. So you rearrange. You rearrange, excuse <laughs> me, you rearrange the, the, the things, the messages essentially mm-hmm. about sex, you rearrange them so that they're easier to carry and they don't affect your, your life quite as much, but you can't, sometimes you can't fully get rid of them, right? It's difficult. Yeah. It's my mother's deceased, but, um, I know that, that she did, um, in fabulous mother, I'm, I'm not saying, yeah. but she yeah. carried from what she was learned going being Catholic, Catholic school. And, yeah. um, I remember this distinctively that, I was probably a freshman in high school or maybe junior high and another girl in my school um, and which was friends with my parents, the the parents, and she got on birth control. And I'll never forget my mom telling me, and it was for skin, I think, or to regulate periods. I don't know what the excuse or what the diagnosis was, but my mom said, you know, that girl's a whore. And I was like, Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. And I, I wonder, and I'm not trying to make this all about my therapy or anything, but I wonder sometimes if that's why I couldn't take the birth control pill. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking I'm because I wasn't a whore, you know? So, um, you know, just that sexual trauma and carrying it with it. And now let me be clear because you love your husband and your husband loves you, but you went through a lot together to get where you are. Yeah. I adore my husband. We've been married 10 years and poor guy, you know, just, hangs in there with me because, you know, and I say this, and I think this is sometime an excuse. I have a lot of friends going through this. Mm-hmm. Now they're fifties. Is that, are you seeing that in your practice? For sure. Yeah. I see, I see things going on in a lot of different age ranges for sure. Um, depending on, on kind of what's going on with the, with the couple, but, um, I would reframe that scenario too, by understanding that you have sexual needs too. And often we 
um, we just defer to male sexual needs as the sexual needs, right? Yes. Instead of saying like, well, you, you would like to be having sex maybe more or in a way that feels good to you, but you maybe you don't have the arousal for it. And maybe he'd like to be having more sex, but that doesn't mean that your needs are any less important or yeah, important in the scenario. We often look to male centered um, arousal or desire as the default. And we then say women have less desire. But what if we looked at women's desire as the default? We would say men, and this is a stereotype, I'm, I, I understand this, but in general, men are hyper erotic, right? Right. We don't say that because mm -hmm. historically men have carried the narrative and the story on what sex should look like or be. Right. And so... You know, when I hear you say my poor husband, sure, maybe his needs aren't getting met, but also your needs are not getting met. That's true. That's <laughs> so true. It is a it is about co-creating sexual experiences from two individuals who have different needs, right? There's no two people on this planet who want sex at the same time, the same way, with the same amount of arousal. Sex is a hundred percent a negotiation every single time. And to think that because we watch porn or because we watch media or whatever, to think that sex is easy and it's just something that happens and it's so easy all the time is false. Right. Right. We always have to come to the table and negotiate what is a good sexual experience for both of us. And right. so that's the work. And it's that's not, it's not easy at any age. No. I mean, I, I'm thinking throughout the ages and it's just not, especially my, my phase of life. But then you think about, you have eight-year-old twin girls. I mean, right. planning and, right. and you're exhausted. They're home all the time right now. They're home. <laughs> 100% of the time <laughs> are the locks working. The, ch the children are home, which makes for interesting. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Planning. I know. Yeah, yeah I know. My daughter lives with us. She's a senior at TCU. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you just can't come in. <laughs> There's just, just time where There's you can't. There's just time. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. so, so, and I get that. So it's all phases of life. All phases, right? Definitely. All definitely. Phases. One of the things that is really helpful and might be helpful for your listeners is that responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. So responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. So that's why sex can often make babies and babies might mean the end of sex for a while is because there's a feeling of incredible responsibility to not only keep this thing alive, but make it thrive, right? Say that again. Responsibility mm -hmm. is the biggest killer of arousal. Wow. That is, that, that makes perfect sense. Right? It does. So people often come into the practice and say, I wish sex was as spontaneous as it was when we were first together, right? Mm -hmm. Well, could we rewind and think about when we were first together? This might be true. This might not be true. But for a lot of couples, when you're first together, you're like maybe in college and maybe you didn't have all those bills to pay or you weren't taking care of an elderly parent or you didn't have kids or you didn't have a demanding career, mm -hmm. right? There was just more opportunity for sex to happen. Right. Because you weren't, there wasn't as much responsibility rolling around in your brain. So I know, it is. And that, and that, the brain thinking, I can't turn my brain off sometimes and, yes. and plan. I mean, because right now at this phase of my life, we have to plan because yeah. Greg and I, um, you know, me not, it's not a priority 
to me, but I'm really trying hard, especially since I met you, to make it. But he suffers, um, you know, erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. and is trying very hard to get the right medication and the right, you know, brain mindset. And so it's tough. And I can't beat him up mentally and he can't, you know what I mean? He, we can, we can, and we've done that. There's a possibility of it, but right, you tried really hard not to, which is beautiful. But do you see that a a lot? I mean, uh, um, sexual dysfunction in, um, I mean, men and women, are you treating both? Absolutely. So if you think about the things that our body and our lives go through over the course of time, you're actually having a different sexual relationship over and over and over again, possibly with the same person. If you're in a long-term relationship, sex is changing. Sex is different because you have different things in your life. You have different responsibilities and our bodies change. So our bodies, men and women, right? However you, your body changes after having, giving birth or going through, um, grief or going through medical complications or surgeries or right. Our bodies change. So we continue to renegotiate what sex looks like. So I'm going to talk to you about a practice that can help and we'll get back around to ED and these things. But, um, when a, when a couple comes into the practice, I ask them this one question to help them make a plan for making sex better. So this is something you can do at home. If you and your partner will spend two minutes writing down, my dream sexual experience would feel like, and then you write down all of the things you would like to feel in sex. I want to feel pleasure, connection, intimate, erotic, safe, loved, wild, lost, out of my body, whatever it is that you want to feel, write those things down on separate, like separately, Mm -hmm. right? And then talk about them together. See what your commonalities were. Did you both put pleasure down? Did you both put desired down? Did you both put wild down? But maybe one of you put safe and the other one felt said wild, you know? So Mm -hmm. what are the differences too? When you write down what you want to feel in sex, then you can start to discover what to do in sex, like behaviorally. Mm -hmm. So you have this common ground of the things you want to feel. We both want to feel pleasure. We both want to feel connection. Okay what are the things in sex we can do behaviorally that help us feel that? Is it having a longer conversation before we start sex to help us feel connected? Is it having a longer conversation after sex to help us feel connected? Is it learning more about our bodies? Is it, you know, adding a toy in, going to the velvet box, adding a toy into our play, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding what you want to feel and finding commonalities there then helps you understand what to do. So if you're experiencing things that are going on in your body, like erectile dysfunction, or like maybe you've had a mastectomy, right? Mm -hmm. And, and always your sex started with breast play and now you don't know how to start sex, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now you have to rewrite this sexual script, start with how you both want to feel, find the commonalities there, and then start to build in behaviors that help you feel that. So for example, if what you want to feel is pleasure and connection, is an erection always required to feel pleasure and connection? Right? I don't know. It's, I, something, to, it's a, something to think about, right? right? Because if we're really looking at what we actually want to feel, which is always what motivates our behaviors. We, I want to feel, I want to feel free. So I go ride my bike. Right. I want to feel whatever. So I go do this thing. 
if we focus on what we want to feel, then the behaviors are becoming more open, right? A lot of our sexuality is focused on, did we come? Who had an orgasm? Did it feel good? Right. Because that's, it, it, that's what I thought the end goal was. That was like the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not always true. That's not always true. If you, if you actually ask, um, if you ask people, and this is something I do in my Velvet Box classes, I ask the participants, what is your favorite phase of sex? Is it desire? Is it arousal? Like the getting warmed up, the foreplay, all of that stuff. Is it plateau where things have to happen the same rhythm, the same consistency in order to reach orgasm? Is it orgasm climax? Or is it the refractory period, like the after part of sex where erection is going down and people are going back into their bodies, right? I ask them what their favorite phase is 100% of the time people say arousal phase, like the foreplay, the getting warmed up. That's my biggest answer. That's what most people answer every single time I ask this, right? Wow. We are so orgasm focused on that few 10 minute or 10 minutes. Maybe you have a 10 minute orgasm. I don't, but maybe <laughs> 10 seconds of experience. We want to hear from you. If I, you know, have. I know. That's our, ne- our next show. <laughs> yeah. um, if you, we are so focused on that kind of 10 seconds or however long it takes to orgasm because of media, because of porn, that we actually miss out on the idea that most of what we love is the getting there. Right. Wow. And so can we have a really great sexual experience that we both find pleasure and connection in, in the getting there? And maybe there's an orgasm, maybe there's not, maybe there's a erection, maybe there's not, but have we found pleasure and connection mm-hmm, in this experience? Mm-hmm. And understanding that, because I know my husband thinks that if he didn't have an erection or if he didn't come or ejaculate, he it's, I don't think he would feel successful. Right. I don't think. Right. And. I think we need to be talking about this. Yeah. That's why I have a job. You know what? (laughs) I mean, seriously, I mean, we should be talking about this and you're pointing out these questions. So I want to circle back over to the purity culture because when you and I were talking about that before, so the the word is purity culture. I, of course, had never heard that. So Mm. explain what that is. Yeah. So purity culture is a big kind of umbrella that we use to describe a few decades actually of time that people were kind of um, pushed towards waiting until you're married to have sex. Um, it w- That was always kind of a push, but there was a time in the 80s and the 90s that was actually a response from the AIDS epidemic and from the free love of the 60s and the 70s. There was a, kind of this specific time where um, a bunch of Christian institutions um, like focus on the family and um, the Baptist church. And we won't go into detail, but there was a a bunch of Christian institutions who pushed out marketing called true love waits or um, I kiss dating goodbye was a big book that was around then uh, pushed this messaging that if you didn't wait until you were married to have sex, you were kind of less than right. And this marketing was pushed to women Mm-hmm. We had purity culture ring or purity yes, rings. Yes, right? yes, yes. Not purity pocket knives. <laughs> we had rings. purity balls, not purity hunting trips. Wow. Right. It was marketed to women that we were the gatekeepers of goodness and, you know, I'm doing quotes, pureness. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were to kind of hold our, the men in our lives accountable for um, remaining pure. Right. 
And so it's called purity culture because purity came in not being sexual. Right. And so we're kind of telling all of these girls, don't be sexual, don't wear, you know, short skirts, don't be a distraction for men um, and telling them that they are responsible for men's behavior. So what happens is <laughs> when you grow up in that environment, you maybe then get married and you think, oh, OK, now sex is going to be easy and good for me. When in reality, you've had years of messaging to say that sex is only good if you make it good. You and your body are responsible for the pleasure of men. And if you don't wait until you have a marriage certificate to have sex, you're going to hell or something bad is going to happen to you, or you're going to be less worthy, right? We told women a lot that they were going to be like a de-petaled flower, or they were going to be, you know, a used up piece of gum if they had sex before they were married. So instilling essentially all of this fear around sex, and then telling them after they got married that they are the gatekeeper to pleasure. Wow. Like you and your body are the gatekeeper to pleasure. Hmm. And so this is problematic. Right. It is <laughs> it's mm -hmm. problematic. It is. And it causes, you know, just the thing that we told them they were going to have is all this amazing sex, you know, this kind of prosperity gospel of sex is, was actually the opposite, right? Because mm -hmm. if we talked about responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal and you told all these women they were responsible for their ma male partner's pleasure, it actually kills arousal. Right. So I have tons of people in the practice who grew up in purity culture and don't understand why they don't want to have sex. Well, it's pretty clear to me. <laughs> Do you think I, I grew up in that? Do you think so? Yeah. Just I mean, it, it sounds observing. like it. Yep. I think it, it sounds like it. Purity culture is kind of these few decades, but the idea mm -hmm. of puritanical sex, right, has been around forever and ever and ever. Right. right? right. Like this Catholic idea that, you know, if you're taking birth control, you're a whore. Right. right? That That was definitely a message that is embedded in within you. I got it. You, I mean, yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, and it's just, it's just not true. No, it's absolutely not true. Um, as women, we are often, we often feel like we need to, um, do good to be loved. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so when it comes to sex, okay, I better be, I better do the right things. So somebody will love me. And, um, so when you're told that, you know, if you have sex before you're married or if you're on birth control, it is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Then we kind of swing to this other way. Well, I better do the right thing, which is turn off mm -hmm. my sexuality. You know what? So my daughter's 21. And when she, um, my neighbor was her, our pediatrician. And I'll never forget when she had the discussion and my daughter's like, yes, I mean, she was not having sex at all. And she just was like, yes, mom, you can stay in the room. And then my neighbor was like, are you sure? And, and she said, my Kennedy, before you go to college, we need to get you on birth control. I felt myself go. Yeah. And I had to stop the cycle of Good not to say, no, <laughs> that means, you know what I mean? I mean, uh -huh. just, I just, it hurt. I, I mean, I could hear it in my head, but yeah, I was just like sitting there going, yeah, I think you should. <laughs> like, oh. so, but that's that training yeah. of of how you grew up. And my mother was doing what the best job she could, 100%. and I'm, you know, but but just for we, me with my child going, geez. So I'm just holding my nose and um, trying to get rid of that. What happened? That so that stigma, right? I yeah. Mean, and I'm so proud of you, by the way. You're oh. such a good mom, and oh. just the act, the 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 understanding that you felt that shame, mm -hmm. right? you felt that previous oh, yeah. trauma 
and that you chose in that moment. I mean, it make me cry. You chose in that moment to stop generations of shame around sex. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, that's that's powerful, Tiffany. That's you. (laughs) And it was here in my throat. I know. I think that's a great idea, Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing and it's powerful and you have no idea like her daughters will be better for it and, or, or how, whatever she chooses to do. Right. 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 It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So we had this conversation, you and I, so you and I met on zoom a few weeks ago and, um, and we, when we were planning this and, and, um, you kept saying to me, I'm so glad you're talking about this. Yes. What, tell me, because I know, but tell my listeners and your community and your followers and mine what you were talking about, because mm. it's taboo or it's, it's, is it, are we still in there? Are we still there? Are we still there? Isn't it funny how we are like almost the most sexualized, we over-sexualize in America. We sexualize everything, right? We use sex women's bodies to sell cars and hamburgers and shit, but we can't like have a conversation about our low libido no, or our low arousal, or like, it feels shameful to say like, Oh, I'm struggling with this area of our life. Right. So this is big dichotomy of us feeling like we should be sexual in this way and also not being able to talk about it or be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Whenever somebody is willing to have a public conversation about sex in a very real way, mm-hmm. it is so liberating to those of us listening because it's such an isolating feeling to think I struggle with sex, but I don't think anybody else feels the same way I do. And I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. to say it out loud. Right. Right. And, you know, Celeste, I think the, and it is now my friends because we have friends throughout our lives and, and, um, different phases. I had friends when I was in college and then my early career, then all of my daughter's friends, parents, cheer parents, we were all friends for you. We're still friends, but this is a new, we, we selected each other and we do have these conversations. Good. Um, some of us aren't quite as comfortable, Sure. but it's only female. We're not really talking about this in with our male friends. Now, Paul hears my, 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 all the time, my producer hears this all the time, but, but I mean, just my dysfunction and what I'm thinking through and about, and you know, I, I can, I can tell my girlfriends, I have never in my life had an orgasm unless it was, I I, I couldn't, I've never naturally had one. Like it's just, it's, and is that mental? Is that, look at you. (laughs) I mean, what is that? Girl, you having sex with the wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. So uh, let's talk about this word natural. Okay. What does that mean to you? Um, like it has to be oral. Okay. How is that not natural? I don't know. Okay. Like um, I have never had an orgasm just through with penetration. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I bet it does make it sense. It does make sense. And you would be among the 70% of women. Yes. Who right? do not have an orgasm through penetrative sex. Well, and have and have most of their orgasms and their first orgasms through clitoral stimulation. And so think about this. Think about who in the past, who in our history has been has had the power to define what sex is. Hmm. It's men, people with penises, we'll say. 
um, penis owners have historically defined what sex is, right? Okay. Um, yes, a penis in a vagina is typically the most traditional way to reproduce, but 97% of the sex we have is not for reproduction. It's for pleasure and connection. Right. So if we're, if we were to ask clitoris owners what their definition of sex was based on pleasure and connection, not reproduction, it would be outer course. It would be clitoral play, right? right. Because intercourse or P- PIV sex, penis and vagina sex feels less good right. to most clitoris owners. 1000%. <laughs> yes. Yes. High so five. broadly, more broadly defined sex, right? Wow. Just define it more broadly. Sex is us being together naked. Sex is us having a deep conversation. Sex is us, you know, touching our bodies intimately. Sex is whatever it is for you. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be defined. In fact, it's incredibly problematic to define sex only Mm -hmm. as penis and vagina. Okay. All right. And that makes sense because my husband will say, he said, I just want to be next to you. I just, you know, his, he... We laugh because he often says he's the romantic female and, and, and I'm not. I, it, it, he, and, but I, again, love, love, love. But he even says, if I can just, if I just like to touch you, like skin to skin, I just like I'm cooking something and he just has to touch me or something, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, I went, boy, your love bank is full today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of touch. I right? love it though. Yeah. I love it. And that is a beautiful description of more widely defining sex. It is that touch in the kitchen. Maybe it is, you know, um, a, a, a warm embrace that doesn't end in orgasm, Mm -hmm. right? Right. If we can just continue to broaden our idea of what sex is, Mm -hmm. then we'll all be having much better sex. If you think about it and relationships, I think relationships and staying married and staying healthy and talking. And, and I'm learning that. And I, and I honestly think I didn't have the mental mental capacity to be open-minded. I mean, Celeste, honestly, I, I, when this, when we talked about having this podcast, I, I had fear. I thought, oh my gosh, rejection, fear, all those things. And I'm like, oh my goodness, everyone's talking about this, Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, in my Mahjong group and, and my <laughs> girlfriends, you know, we're having wine or whatever. But, um, it's just, it's amazing to me because back to what I was saying, I thought, well, I'm a failure because mm-hmm. I've never had an orgasm with penetration. Yeah. Never. I mean, like if we can do anything in this moment, can I give you permission to let go of the idea that you're a failure, failure. because you don't have an orgasm with penetrative sex? Did y'all hear it? You heard it right. Can, on we, here. can we write it down and burn it in this candle here? And be yes. Like, well, go away. Right. You're not a failure. Okay. So you and, are like 70% of other women. But do you find with your clients too, that they may feel like I do or absolutely 100% feel like if it's not like I was told it's supposed to be, or not like I see it on TV or like I see it in you, however, that I'm not good enough. I totally have felt that and continue to feel that right. Because I'm told all the time that my, because of, if I just listen to outside sources that if I'm not like them, something's wrong with me. Right, right? Right. So I have my own backpack. I have my own backpack that I have to shuffle around and make sure that I'm addressing the things I'm carrying around. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I leave things out when you were talking about, um, when Ken, is Kennedy, your daughter mm-hmm. Kennedy was going to your pediatrician and you had that, those feelings, right? I, listen, I talk about sex all day, every day for a living, helping people remove shame from their sex lives. I still have moments where I'm like, 
Do you with really? my own daughters, right? Because mm-hmm. I carry that stuff in my backpack and it's just there and I know how to manage it and I know how to work through it. But the idea of, you know, my, my kids having sex, the first thing to my mind isn't like, hallelujah, right? The first thing to my mind is caution. Mm-hmm. And I have to work through that over and over and over again. And this is my entire job. Right. So it is not like, it's something that we don't all deal with. Right. Yeah. The thought of my, my daughter having sex. I mean, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, you know, just, just because, I mean, I don't know if that's a maternal thing. So which brings me to a fabulous point when you walked in and and I asked you, I talked to you about your husband Mm -hmm. as a physician. And you said, I I was asking if you had children, you have two eight year old girls Mm -hmm. and she got, and honestly, everyone, she said, and it's the best thing. And I can never, I could, I mean, I can't even tell you how fabulous it is having eight-year-old twin girls. And that is so wonderful. Good mama. That, I mean, that doesn't define a mother, but that, that's, that, Thank I mean, you. how Thank do you, you I, because I do want you all to hear me loud and clear. I am not telling you when you should have sex in your life. And I don't think that's what Celeste is trying to do. How do you talk to your children and how do you suggest We all as parents talk to our children. Yeah. What a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, Here's the one thing about that I understand in this moment right now, right? I might listen to this podcast 10 years from now and be like, well, geez, I had it wrong, right? But from (laughs) right now. Today. Today, what I understand about raising kids is that you, is that I cannot dictate what they do in their sex life. My role is to equip them with the right, honest, authentic information to the best of my ability, which will help them make their own healthier decisions. We know from research that the more a kid knows about sex authentically, like authentic truth about sex, the better and more healthy decisions they will make. So my job as a mama is not to say you should or shouldn't do this. My job is to say, here are all the facts, baby girl. Like, I trust you to make your own decisions. And guess what? You're going to F it up sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm going to be here to help you manage. I will love you. Yeah. I'll love you anyway, girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not a, this is not a, a tenuous deal. This Mm -hmm. love is real and forever. (laughs) So, so in terms of practical things, starting, like always think about what is the most authentic thing, starting with actual names for your kids private parts, right? Clitoris, vulva, penis. Um, remember the vulvas on the outside, the vagina's internal. So the things that your, your, your little clitoris owners have is a vulva and you can talk about the vagina, but in, in general, vulva is the more correct term. So starting with correct terms and then going from there, right? If you say this is your pee pee or your ta-ta or your hoo-ha or whatever. And then when they're 10, you gotta be like, listen, it's not your pee pee or your haha. It's your vulva, <laughs> right? You have instilled a little bit of distrust yes, in your own child. Like, oh, mom didn't tell me the truth about this. What else is she not telling What's me the it? truth right. about in terms of sex? Hmm. So I tell my kids the truth about everything. And there's no, in my opinion, there's not a conversation. It is a dialogue that happens early and it continues to mature as your child matures, right? My kids are eight. They know pretty much all there is to know about sex in, in pretty basic detail, right? Right. Um, they know all about their body. They are free to touch themselves. I encourage masturbation. Um, I tell, give them boundary, 
right? Because that's also important. I told you earlier, I have definitely told my, one of my daughters, you can touch your clitoris. You cannot touch your clitoris at the dining room table. That's something you need to do alone in your bath, in your bathroom or bedroom. Right? So I am giving the context for which sexuality is really safe. Right. And that is helping her learn about her own body. So the, then she can give informed consent, mm -hmm. not just consent, but informed because she knows about her body for somebody else down the road to touch her body. Right. And so authentic truth, start early and just grow that conversation as that kid matures. Right. We haven't had all the conversations, but they have definitely have enough conversations and they trust me. Right. If they have a question, they'll be like, Oh, what is this? You know, mm -hmm. they'll ask me. And that's ultimately your goal is to have them know that you will tell them the honest truth, no matter what. And they can ask you anything when it comes down the road. You know, it, and what what's was frightening to me, and actually last night, um, my daughter and a friend of ours, and Greg and I had dinner, and we very very open. My daughter's twenty one, and uh, our friend's thirty one, so both single. And um, I remember when Kennedy was twelve that she told Greg and I something about this boy wanted to have a threesome. And so Greg, literally Greg's 66 now. So he's 12 years older than I am. Well, no, he's older than that. And so he fell out of his chair because he's like, um, <laughs> Tiffy just told me what a threesome was last week. So how the hell do you know at 12? Right. They're learning on the internet. Right. And I'm just, because I didn't, I, I didn't think at 12, it was appropriate to tell my daughter about right. a sexual activity that, right. and it's so... I, what make, what's fearful to me is what they're learning on the playground, the internet, probably the internet more than anything now, <laughs> right. but, um, because I feel like that's a parent's responsibility to tell these, do you know what I'm saying? But, it is. But it, how do you, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't me. stop it from happening. You can put as many filters and whatever as you want on your computer. But, um, here's the deal is right. When, even when I, I you know, I was born in 81. We didn't have a computer in our house till I was probably 10. Um, I'm not an internet native and, and, but even I, as a, as a young person could access information maybe faster than, than other people. But my parents had an opportunity to leave me in the dark if they wanted to. Parents nowadays do not, right? Your mom had an opportunity to leave you in the dark if she wanted to. Kids these days do not. Your kids will get an education. You need to get in front of that education. Right. Um, talk early, talk often, and make it about literacy, right? Um, I've talked to my kids because they now have their little Chromebooks, you know, because they're virtual schooling. I've talked to my kids about, you know what, sometimes there's some stuff on the internet that's not actually true. Right. You know, we talk about porn literacy. We talk about what it means to come across an image and what you feel when you see that image. And I'm not handing out porn sites to my eight-year-old, certainly not, but I will be prepared when they come to me and say like, oh, I found this thing. And I don't know, I feel funny and I feel aroused. And I don't know. I'll be like, baby, come here. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of shaming. Right. <laughs> Instead of um, just trying to make sure it doesn't happen because it will happen. Mm -hmm. it, it will, will happen. happen. It is happening. It is happening. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we help her take the truth out of it 
and take the falseness out of it and really understand what it is and how her body's responding. And then she can make better and more informed decisions. Right, right. Well, yeah, talk to your children. That's all I can say yeah. about everything. Yeah. I mean, everything for sure. Because that, you know, when I started my period, my mother just put a box of, of, uh, pads on my, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it was just a different, yeah. I mean, it was a different time and my friend and I'll talk about it, but to figure out what did we know? Good grief. Yeah. I don't even know anything now. Um, you know, when we were, uh, you and I were talking and, and I asked you, I said, who is your, who's your client base? What, mm-hmm. who, who do you see? And, and again, my lack of understanding you said as early as the twenties, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You do have clients that are that young. And I was like, why yeah. would, and now I'm listening to you and talking to you and I understand why. Yeah. And so you coaching, so your age range, male, female, do, your demographics are across the, the board, right? Yep. I, I typically see mostly people who identify as female and couples, um, just that's typically my, my niche in my area, because I do talk about vaginal pain quite a bit, um, and vaginismus and low libido, low arousal. Um, I do talk to people about establishing their own sexual ethic, which is typically those younger single, uh, women that are coming to me are wondering like, well, I grew up in the church and I waited to have sex. So I was, you know, I, I want to wait until I have penetrate have penetrative sex until I'm married, but now I'm kind of questioning, like, is this what I really want? And is this really good for me? And my job isn't to say you should or shouldn't do this, right? Waiting to do certain behaviors until you're really ready is a beautiful, healthy thing. There's nothing wrong with that, Mm -hmm. right? It's when you're waiting because you're, you fear something bad will happen to you. That's when it becomes problematic. So my job is to help give lots of information. I should... My job is not to say you should be having sex like this or you should be, or you shouldn't wait or anything like that. That's not my job or or right. or role at all. Mm-hmm. My role is to say like, hey, let's look at your belief system. Let's look at your intuition. Let's look at what sex education says. Let's figure out a way for you to navigate sex that feels really great for you based on a filter of your face system, maybe based on a filter of, you know, sex education. Um, so. I'm very firm that nobody should be telling you how to have sex, not your church, not your pastor, not a sex therapist, not anybody should be telling you how to have sex, but you can glean lots of information to help you make the best choices for you from those places, right? Absolutely. And, you know, those of us, those of you out there in the purity culture, um, you know, we're talking to you and obviously your services, there are things that you can do because with Greg and I in our fifties and sixties dealing with vaginal dryness for me, because menopause, post-menopause, I can't believe I'm (laughs) post-menopause. I'm still going through it, Lord. Um, And then Greg with ED. And so there are things that we can do. And I, and, and I'm friends with Marcel that owns a velvet box in, in Fort Worth. And you and I were talking about, I remember having a self-help book and, and the cover and putting a, like, it, like I was in high school or something, putting a book cover or something. So no one would see what I was reading. I so the internet's a little bit different. So with COVID, Marcel says, and you shared with me that the online classes have been yeah fabulous, right? Yeah. Because it's, if you are feeling that 
right. shame or whatever. And I don't want to use the word shame, but if you're, but if you are curious and yeah. wondering, because what do you, what do you, because you do work with hand in hand, you work with Marcel and her team at Velvet Box. So tell us what, what you do offer. Yeah. So we offer online, an online course every other Wednesday night, and it is a variety of topics like next one. Well, I don't know when this will air, but our next one is um, about low libido. And so what we really want to offer is a safe and friendly environment to learn more about sex, because there's just not a whole lot of great sex education out there that doesn't mince words, but also doesn't, doesn't make you feel intimidated. Mm -hmm. Um, Like everybody's welcome no matter who you're having sex with or if you're not having sex or what your genitalia is or what you're, how you ever identify, everybody's welcome. And it's okay. Maybe that you don't know these things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we offer friendly sex education that is not intimidating and that you can do in the comfort of your own home. So you right. can just watch the webinar and get some suggestions. And then what I really try to do on in my classes through the velvet box is create platforms for talking to your partner, you know, so, okay, you know, we're learning about low libido. Here's some great questions you guys can talk about after this webinar is over. Right. So it gives you, I really love action oriented education. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it really gives you like, okay, what's the next steps? Not like, oh, we just learned a whole lot about the penis, but we really don't know how to apply this information to our sex life. So it's really applicable, friendly sex education. And I love that Marcel and the Velvet Box is so committed to having friendly, not intimidating sex education in their stores with all of their employees and through sex education, through what we do on our webinars. It's just phenomenal. And people show up for it because there's not enough places doing it. Exactly. And, and I, and I think you and I talked about this as well. I remember going into a different type of, of storefront Mm -hmm. in a different town, two different towns. And it, and it, and I felt immediately now here we go. We might've been my upbringing, but felt a little dirty and seedy. Yeah. And if you walk in the velvet box, it's bright and friendly and people are people my age and people young, I mean, different ages, her staff that just makes you feel like you're like, don't be afraid to ask anything. And I love everything's welcome. here. Everything's welcome. And there's not, not a stupid question. Right. Right. Yeah. uh, Several years ago, I went in to get a lubricant because I, yes, I mean, you know, and and it was almost safe for me because when I went to the grocery store, someone saw me, but lo and behold, you have a vagina that's not, you know, (laughs) lubricated. Good Lord. So I went in and it was so educational and I was so, I've just felt good about, you know what I mean? I I really did. And I, and I have to applaud her. And then of course we all forget about people that are ill Mm -hmm. and they can't, they have their sex, their sexual drive is gone or different types of cancer that's affected them. Right. Like you said earlier, mastectomy. And we don't ever think about that or prepare for that in any way. Right. Like the things that are going on in our life. And, you know, sometimes I'll talk about like, I've taught people how to have sex when they have a colostomy bag or when they've had an, uh, like a removal of a limb, Mm -hmm. or if you have limited, limited, um, flexibility for some reason or the other, or your body has changed and you can't reach the places you used to be able to reach. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we always think sex is between two super hot, thin people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is not the reality of life, right? Everybody 
for the most part is born sexual and die sexual. And so understanding what that means in our own lives is beautiful and, and, um, helpful. And there's a variety of classes. I mean, there's, I mean, you teach, like you said, the low yeah. libido, which is great. And, yeah. you know, go I've low in testosterone. And then I've been, you know, pumped up with too much testosterone. And, you know, I did have yeah. a doctor just say, you're not going to eat, you're not going to balance. You just don't like sex. Just you should get over it. <laughs> okay. Again, exactly. Like no. yours that was saying, if you have a baby, you'll, everything yeah, will be great. It out. It'll stretch it out. <laughs> but there's so many, um, I mean, there's so many, you know, enlarged prostate. I mean, ED, right. like we were talking about, right. I mean, things that I am not educated enough to talk about, but you know, urinary incontinence, that's just something that right. women are dealing. And, um, I was talking on the show last, well, Gosh, I can't believe it was 20, it's 2021, but talking about, I had the Mona Lisa and I oh, had, yeah. I did have it because I was, you know, of course I thought that was going to be my magic pill to fix everything right. and it wasn't, but I don't pee on myself anymore. So that's, so that's good. <laughs> it is really great Check. for water for incontinence. Yes. Exactly. So yeah. it worked well, but you know, people talking about that as well, you know, so, right. and going in and getting help with, right. you, and, and I'm, I'm just amazed at the classes that you all offer and the staff. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're just phenomenal. They're amazing. And, um, you know, we really wanted to make them practical. So like, you know, next week's course is low libido, but like the next one after that, I think is giving great blowjobs right. or like understanding how to, um, how to give oral sex to a clitoris owner or understanding how to use bondage or how to use restraints or sensation mm -hmm. play or all of those things are just things you don't, you aren't born knowing how to use a flogger. <laughs> No, didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Sex is a skill that we learn. And this is my, my biggest thing is that, you know, everybody says sex is natural. And although it is biological, we're built to have sex. It isn't natural. It is a skill like riding a bike. And so we can always get better at it. And so taking classes is how you get better at skill and uh, sex and practicing. Absolutely. Well, yes. That, Being able that. to talk. Yeah, that's true. My sister's a physician in small town and she and I were talking about this, um, this past weekend. I said, this is what I'm doing. Of course we were raised by the same mom. Yeah. And, um, she said, you know, this will help. She has a, um, wellness. I mean, she does hormone therapy and yeah. she and I were talking about it and she said, you know, I am so excited to send my patients to this podcast to listen mm -hmm. because, there is shame. There is sex abuse. There are cheating, that one partner sh cheating or, or something. And, and, and it's like, you know, the permission and, and you think you're the gatekeeper or whatever, yeah. or you have to have sex to keep this husband right. or wife at home. Right. So it was interesting because she says, Tiff, everybody needs this, mm -hmm. you know, and don't, don't, you know, of course people, you don't have to listen, of course, but yeah. everyone needs this for sure. Yeah. For and sure. it's a beautiful way to, to get some sex education because it's in the podcast. You're not reading a, you know, it's in your ear, earbuds. You're not like reading the book or whatever. You, you said that to me. You said everybody can just turn the podcast off for sure. Yeah. Maybe, the, maybe they'll learn more out of this. So yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah. So you enjoy teaching online or you'd rather be in the store? Oh, you know, I like both. Online is really fun because you get people who are relaxed in their own environment, right? When you're in the store, everybody's kind of, you know, feeling, <laughs> feeling themselves in the store. But I think people can be more themselves online right. because they have, they're in the safety and the comfort of their home. So I like both. It's right. more fun to interact on, in the store. Mm -hmm. um, but e e either one has their benefits. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Celeste, you have, I, I told you before the show, I should have 
I, I wish I'd have known you then, but um, I, your online courses, one that came to my first, that, that just, I was like, aha, the Elevate. Yeah. And that's a four week course. Is that right? Yeah. You can take it in, in, in as quickly as four weeks, but you have uh, like six months to finish it if you want. And it's just um, a way for me to help people who identify as female women um, to understand low libido. So like, here's one main thing out of Elevate that hopefully can help some of your listeners is that there's, when you're thinking about low libido and low arousal, there are actually two different types of arousal. There's spontaneous arousal and responsive arousal. So spontaneous arousal is when you think about as how you normally think about arousal. I am aroused for sex. So I go seek out sexual behavior. That's how you typically think of it. But a whole bunch of people, especially women experience responsive arousal, which is I have to start sexual behavior before my arousal shows up. Okay. Start your sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Before to the- see if se- to see if your arousal shows up to see if you get aroused for okay. sex, okay, right? And that's just as a valid of arousal as spontaneous arousal, but we only see spontaneous arousal on on TV, right? <laughs> and we oh, think gosh. that something's wrong with us mm-hmm. if we don't feel aroused. Mm-hmm. So somebody with who experiences responsive arousal could go their entire life without out of the blue feeling like they want to have sex, but if they get into a sexual scenario, a lot of times the arousal shows up. So I tell women, um, don't ask yourself, do I want to have sex? Ask yourself, do I want to put in some energy to try and get aroused for sex? Okay. And that could change the dynamic of. Could change a lot of things. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. That's something you teach in your course. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. It's all about arousal and kind of understanding your responsibilities and roles and how that affects your your sex life. I also always say about your, about your, um, bedroom, if it doesn't help you feel dreamy and sexy, it doesn't belong in your bedroom. (laughs) That's one of my biggest things. You have to have this beautiful escape to have sex in. Yes. Like get those responsibilities out of your brain. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know the painting of the room Mm. just laying there. (laughs) Stop painting your room quick. Making the grocery list. Yeah. Stop it. Should I paint the ceiling linen or oh, cotton? Oh, gosh, that's interesting. Huh? Oh, sorry. I'm oh, back. I'm back. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I know. So I'm not the only one, right? No, you're okay. not the only yeah, one. And it is. It is It is clearing those cobwebs out and not planning my podcast and not doing, yeah. you know, and my husband checking the stock market. I know. <laughs> Which is rare. He is in. He's in. I love you, baby. You're in. <laughs> well, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you being here today and sharing sharing your incredible knowledge and, you know, your transparencies of what you went through, Thank you. you know, and being married and what you guys, cause you have a good guy. He, oh, he's awesome. Yeah. He hung in there with you, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He surely did. <laughs> and two beautiful girls, right? Yep. When God love them, they're just the silliest and the most fun. And I highly recommend twins. <laughs> you know, you, you were saying something earlier and, and, uh, if people, my, my people know me and I just, adore my daughter. I think she's just, she's just fabulous. And, uh, when you were talking about your girls, your eyes teared up because you, you're, you're so in love with your children and, and, and and it's, it's amazing. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate seeing that because it's not always easy and you're homeschooling, right? Yes. Yay. (laughs) Well, they're, yeah, I'm doing the virtual school thing. So, um, it's been, it's been really interesting. I I was telling my parents yesterday that this whole year, because they've been out of school in 
out of physical school for a year. And it felt like it has been a sabbatical in which I get to know my kids again. I agree. It's been really fascinating. I agree. My daughter has been home with COVID. She went back a little bit at TCU. She didn't feel, you know, you know, just wanted to be home three quarters of a mile down the road. But um, just how much I've learned about my child and she's learned about me and she, um, she's turned into the parent sometimes. Mom, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. And it's fabulous. I love it. I mean, it's good. I mean, no boundaries crossed, just, you know, it's a good thing. It's yeah. great. Oh, I'm so happy kiddos. for you. Yeah, I know. Gotta you. love those children. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Tell us how we can find you, yes. your website. Yes, absolutely. You can find me at Dr. Celeste Holbrook, drcelesteholbrook.com. I'm, that's the same handle for my socials, Dr. Celeste Holbrook on Instagram and Facebook. And I offer a complimentary 30 minute discovery calls. So if somebody is interested in consulting, we can, um, you can sign up on my website for just a 30 minute chat and I can help guide you in the right direction. Maybe it's coaching with me and maybe it's not, but I can help you find what would be a good fit for you. And then of course, go to velvetbox.com to sign up for classes. We have them every other Wednesday. And then I teach an advanced oral sex class in person um, a few Fridays a year. So that's just for people who identify as female. And um, we really do talk all things oral sex. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'll go, Greg. I promise. Yes. He's going to get something out of this for sure. (laughs) For sure. Okay. And follow me on Instagram at Tiffany C. Blackman. And everyone go and rate and review this podcast. We're excited to hear what you have to say. And tell us what's going on with you. And watch for the blog post for this soon. And everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for coming, Celeste. And everyone keep being fabulous.